Hello, everyone. Just a friendly reminder that you can watch the podcast live and interact with us and other chatters on twitch.tv slash toast. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the Mixed Media Podcast, where we'll be covering film, anime, television, and gaming. I'm your host, Keegan, and joining me uh, is your co-host, Mr. Mike, Mr. Mikey Nike Rager. Glad to be here, Keegan. Awesome. Very <laughs> excited to get the show on the road. It's been a long time coming after several delays, but we're here. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a couple setbacks. Had yeah. a case of death. Yeah, yeah. We definitely had a, a small case of death on both ends here. Um, I think yours was a bit more severe than mine, though. Yeah, just a, just a touch more death. Yep. Um, anyway, uh, what are we going to be getting into for our first episode? So uh, today, I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of give the audience a chance to get to know who we are and some of the things that we like, some of the things we dislike. So I call this episode Highlights and Disappointments of 2023 so far. And at the end, we're going to get into some stuff that's coming out later in 2023 that we're excited for on the Mixed Media Podcast. And as Keegan said, um, you're going to hear us talk about all kinds of things here. We, when deciding to do the podcast, we didn't want to just limit it to anime or uh, limit it to television. We wanted to do television, anime, film, and gaming. Uh, so you get a little bit of everything from us. And uh, the first thing we wanted to do is go down on a list of 13 things that were highlights of the year. This does not include games. We're going to get to games a little bit later. These can be movies. TV shows or anime that we have uh, really enjoyed. The only rule, it could come out any year. You know, if it came out in 33 and this is the first time we watched it, it could go on the list. The only rule is that we had to have watched it in 2020. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and get into that. I am going to adjust our audio a little bit. Uh, Canadian Syrup in chat says we're the stream is a little bit quiet. Um I don't know if it's just on my end or if he's talking like both of our audio, but I'm going to turn you up specifically just a little bit. Um, Sounds good. So give me one second here. Remind me to make a second uh, intermission screen for both of us here, but okay, go ahead and say something now. Um, is that any better? I think so. Chat, how's that sound? Is that better? I'm a lot quieter, they say. A lot quieter, okay. Let Just me know turn how that to is. Like, turn me up to 110. Okay, it looks like we're both hitting, like, the same the same peaks on my OBS here now. Hold on, I'll turn up the audio. A little more? Let me know. Add more. Welcome to the stream, by the way, Canadian Syrup. Yeah, First welcome time in. Welcome. Right, we'll go to there. How's that sound, guys? Yeah. Yeah, try that. We'll try that, and then if that doesn't work, we can go to 80. Okay. All right, hopefully that's good. Sounds good. Sounds good. He handsome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Keegan, do you want to um, you want to get things started with the top of your list, number 13? Number 13. Uh, so you actually have one more than I do because I struggle to find a 13th. Uh, oh, so we're going to start with 12. Uh, okay. My first one is Tenet. Tenet. Oh, man. Tenet. Great pick. I've got a Chris Nolan film on my list, but it is it is not Tenet. So tell us a little bit about Tenet, Keegan. Uh, so Tenet is a um, film that came out in, like, 
in theaters in like what late 2020 that was like the was going to be the rise to bring people back into the theaters um ended up not doing so well because like at that point people were just putting movies on streaming services all the time uh but i ended up watching it once in like 2022 and then recently again uh just a couple months back but it's like a sci-fi uh like drama thriller and it's i don't know there's so much about the movie that i just love especially like the concepts um and the acting is phenomenal as well honestly tenet holds such a special place in my heart because i go to the movies constantly and um when i went uh in 2020 the last movie i saw was right before the pandemic i think it was I can't remember what it was, but then there was that long drought of March till August where nothing was really coming out. Um, Black Widow came out kind of, not really. I mean, nothing was really coming out. Everything was getting delayed. Oh, no, Black Widow's 2021. Everything was getting delayed, and I remember Tenet came out in August, and I bought tickets for it opening night. I was a little nervous because it was still in the pandemic, and we weren't quite sure what was going on, and there was like four people there. But it was still great to be back in a theater again right that that was the highlight there's no like other experience like being in a movie theater like like there's a difference between me watching a movie at home and me watching a movie in the theater because it's it's just it's a different atmosphere different aesthetic vibe everything i completely agree with you um my number 13 is rear window which is an alfred hitchcock movie uh, it's got Jimmy Stewart in it, and basically I put that movie on the list because there's nothing else quite like it. Um, how much do you know about uh, Rear Window? I Keegan? don't know anything. This is the first I've heard of it. The first you've heard of it. Cool. Yeah. So it's basically Jimmy Stewart, and he uh, he's in some kind of accident, and his, both of his legs are completely disabled. He can't use them, and he's sitting in his apartment, and he's got this camera, and he looks across, and he's pretty confident that he sees one of his neighbors get murdered so the whole movie the whole hour and a half is just this dude laying on his couch looking out his window with this thing like seeing what's going on in the neighborhood and it is so good and jimmy stewart just sells it there aren't very many directors that could make a movie with a concept like that as suspenseful as hitchcock can but it is like one of hitchcock's best it is so good it is so well written and like i said jimmy stewart just does such a great job right yeah it definitely sounds like a one that i have to catch at some point so yeah it's phenomenal all right keegan you're next you're number 11 all right so i may have gone on a bit of a uh Christopher Nolan kick here, um, especially because I was just typed for Oppenheimer, which I still haven't gotten to see yet. Um, but Inception is number eleven. I've never seen Inception. Really? Okay. I've never seen uh, Inception. Oddly enough, it's easier to understand the Tenet somehow, but it's about like uh, going into people's dreams to like basically make them think that they incepted an idea they they're the first person to have come up with that concept and that idea in a dream and then like they're basically people like deep diving into people's dreams and influencing like the world basically i haven't seen inception but i've seen the south park parody okay inception so i have kind of a uh i'm not sure who joined but could you please that'd be dylan Okay. okay thank you um i'm not sure who quite um how close the South Park uh, 
special is to the um the actual movie, but it's um pretty funny. But I I really do need to see Inception that one and um Interstellar. Yeah. I haven't seen either of those by him. My number twelve is Christopher Nolan. So we're following your Christopher <laughs> Nolan theme. It is Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer was fucking incredible. It's it, it should be higher on the list. It's my bad. I didn't organize these yet. Um, I should have done that. Mine are just kind of in any order, just things I really liked. But Oppenheimer has been the best thing I've seen in theaters this year. And maybe last year, the Batman kind of edges it out just a little bit. But Oppenheimer is, for those of you who are completely out of the loop, it is about J. Robert Oppenheimer, who helped to develop the nuclear bomb. And it is just incredible. I've never seen a movie where it's just three hours of people in rooms talking. That is the most, it, it's so exciting. Christopher Nolan, the music, the dialogue, Robert Downey and Killian Murphy's performances are both just amazing. Oppenheimer, easily one of the best movies of the year. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been hearing so much about it that I, I just need to get to a theater and see it myself. So You definitely should. It is incredible. See it on the biggest screen you can. Right. All right. So um, going into number 10 for me, we have Nobody, which uh, last we spoke, you haven't seen it yet. Haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, so Nobody takes on a lot of the uh, same aspects as uh, like John Wick, but it's a lot more... There's a lot more comedy to it. It's not as like taken seriously as as John Wick is. Um, it's like just really well done action. Um, Bob Odenkirk plays a fantastic like leading role for that, uh, as he always does though. Um, but well shot action, uh, a fun story, like funny like comedy like thrown in the mix as well. It's just it's just all around good. I, I really need to check it out. I've I've been really behind on the action stuff. Uh, this past year, uh, not 2023, but 2022, was the first time I saw any of the John Wick movies. I saw 1, 2, and 3 in one sitting. I'd never seen them before. And I saw 4 when it came out this year. It's one of my honorable mentions. Um, but I really need to see nobody because I, I fucking love Bob Odenkirk. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I haven't right. seen it yet. Because I absolutely love Bob Odenkirk, and getting to see him kick ass would be like one of the best things on earth. So I'm not really sure what I'm doing with that. Yeah. Um, Honestly, it's not even that long of a movie, so you could definitely like pop that out in like an afternoon if you wanted. Yeah, I definitely could. Um, my number eleven is a sleeper hit of the '70s that Keegan has had the pleasure of watching with me. I have seen it three times now. It is Eraserhead, David Lynch's uh, first film, first feature film. I can't describe this movie to you. Um, the best way I could describe it is you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you have the weirdest fucking dream of your life. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, what did I even just dream about? You can barely remember it. That's Eraserhead. Um, I think David Lynch is second to none when it comes to capturing dream like the the feeling of being in a dream on film nothing quite um comes close like david lynch uh, right. twin peaks his work is just excellent and Eraserhead is absolutely it, it, it's so weird and you know if you watch it you're either going to love it or you will hate it 
Yeah, I uh, I remember I did watch that one with you, uh, for the first time, and it was just, it's such a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's um, it almost doesn't feel real. Like you're just experiencing something so out of this world that it just doesn't make sense. It's very surreal. Yeah, yeah, it's very surreal, and it just kind of the movie just kind of takes you, and you're just kind of watching this stuff. And if you are going, if you're watching this, and you want to watch a Racerhead. The best way to do it is to turn it on at like two o'clock in the morning. You will hate yourself the next day. But that viewing experience of a racer head, especially if you get a little bored, you start to drift off and then you start, you know, did I dream that or was it in the movie? That is the best way to watch the racer head. Yeah, it's definitely one of those movies. It's like you, there's a definitely a time and a place that you should put it on and it's 2 a.m., Especially like a night where you're like you're just kind of having trouble sleeping, you just don't want to sleep anymore. Just put on a racer head. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, are you on number nine? Yes, I am on number nine. I believe this is one that's on both of our lists. It is uh, Banshees of Inisherin. Yes, yes, I have that as number one. That is one that I um, instinctively put on number one. Uh, you go ahead and talk about it first. Okay. Uh, so going into it, I've only seen it once. You've seen it like upwards of eight times now, somewhere around there, yeah, probably. Uh, six. I've seen it six, six times. times. Okay. Year. Yeah, I've seen it six uh, times. So going into it and like being told, yeah, this is a comedy. You don't like expect that <laughs> at all. Like there are moments that are it's just so bizarre, but you can't help but laugh at it. Um, and it's such a simple concept too. Like the whole story kicks off because. Um, the character, well, the leading character goes and he's like, I'm gonna, you know, invite my friend to the pub and he just isn't like coming out of his house or whatever. And he's like, okay, I'll just go order for him. Shows up and he's like, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And it's just, that's, that's where we go. And it's, it's such a wild ride for, for such like, such a simple start. I completely agree. The, so when I, I'm going to talk about the first time I watched The Banshees of Inisherin, which was five days before 2023, but I've seen it five more times since it was. It was right after Christmas, I believe. I saw it the 26th or 27th of December, and award season was around the clock, and I was like on the everything everywhere all at once train. I was like, yeah, this has got best picture. There's no doubt in my mind. And a lot of people, including this YouTuber, I really like. Um, he was like, man, Banshees is like, it's it's crazy. Like, it's my vote for best picture. I was like, Banshees of Inisherin, And I saw Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson were in it. And I saw it was on HBO Max. So I was like, ah, I'll give it a try. What the hell? And I watched it, and it was absolutely one of the best releases of last year. It's one of the best things I've still seen this year. Every time I watch it, it doesn't just get funnier. It gets better. Uh, the characters become more relatable the story becomes more relatable you start to see yourself more in them like keegan said it's a simple concept it's something that a lot of people can relate to it's something that you know this idea of you know we have all these social norms where you know you're friends with somebody and then well how do you cut them off without a fight without a big altercation because he doesn't want that he even helps him at several points in the movie when he's already decided like hey um, I don't really want to be friends with you anymore. You know, he still helps him out. So it's it's this thing where he doesn't hate him, but he just doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. 
and the events that transpire from this very simple concept is just it's amazing and the setting for this movie is perfect it is a movie that shouldn't work also very at all. beautiful like yes the shoot yes. like the locations and everything just they look great oh my god yes it in the soundtrack everything just works so well and call the movie is carried by its two lead performers there's a few side characters that have some really good stuff in there too but the dynamic between colin farrell and brendan gleason is great and it makes sense um because this isn't the first time that they worked with martin mcdonough they worked with him in in bruges which was another movie that heavily relied on their chemistry together in bruges is a little bit different i watched that for the first time this year as well and it's a little bit different in their hitmen and it's you know it's more modern, things like that. But the chemistry that these two men have together just works so well. And it just elevates Banshees of Inisherin to one of the best films of last year. It is just so beautiful. And every aspect of it is just perfectly well-crafted. You're right. Uh, Sam's in chat. She said, uh, the location of that movie just adds so much to the melancholy humor of it all. It really does because you know it's like in the movie they're like they're talking and he, they're you know they're like well what are you gonna do like you don't want to be friends with him there's like thirty people here like look around you right. we're surrounded by water we're in the middle of nowhere you know the Irish Civil War is going on and I love the parallels that the movie draws between the Irish Civil War and them where it's like I don't know what they're fighting about I don't care like right. it's mean to me which is is great because that's at the end of the day that's really what they're fighting about is nothing it's this idea of this one man who just wants one thing and this other man who is just oblivious to that it works perfectly um that was you you picked that one up yeah and then it's on both okay so my number 10 this one is also one that me and keegan both share on our lists i believe is Jojo Part 3. Yes. This is... Um, for the, the, only for anime the anime lovers and Jojo fans. Yes, this is for all the anime lovers. If you're listening, we watched Jojo Part 3, not together, separately. But we both watched Jojo Part 3 this year. And wow, is is it great. Especially the second half. I mean, it, it really kicks up a notch. The first half of Part 3, I was like, man, this isn't as good as Part 2. It's dragging a little bit. But once the second half kicks in and they're in Egypt, it just does not stop. I yeah. mean, it is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I love a lot of the humor, a lot of the characters. The action's really well done. Um, I don't know if you watched it dubbed or subbed. Um, I watched it subbed, so you get to have, sure. like, you get to have the funny comedy moments of, uh, of uh, old man Joseph. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, I've got a sticker on my fridge over here, it's him yelling, oh my god. Yeah, I, I watched it subbed. It, it, especially just, I mean, the, them yelling in English is like one of the funniest fucking things. Yeah, it's, it adds heard. so much to like, to the show, because not, like, there are, are there anime that do it, but JoJo is like synonymous with the, with like broken English. Yeah, it's Iraqi's obsession with American culture, like naming all of these characters after, you know, famous musicians or, you know, just the most ridiculous things. Oingo yeah. and his brother Boingo, shit like that. It's just he loves American culture. And it's really 
it's really refreshing to see that from a different perspective because usually it's like an american made thing that like loves another culture and usually it's like whoa right like you know what i mean like they try to incorporate like an element of japanese culture or an element of swedish culture and then you watch it and you're like oh they're trying a little too hard but jojo doesn't feel like it's trying too hard it feels like it's like perfectly it's like nodding to, to what it's like referencing it's not like it's not full-on just hey this is that thing i'm referencing it's like if you know you know kind of yep exactly 100 percent. i agree with you i love jojo part three that is why it is on both of our lists it right. was it was and excellent it's why it's also on pretty much every jojo's fans list is being the best and why part three is the most known so yeah I agree completely. All right, Keegan, you are up next. All right, so I'm on number eight. Uh, I have Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And that is my number two. It, <laughs> it It's not that high, but yeah, it's on my list. You go ahead and shoot first. Okay. So it's just an... It, it literally starts out, and you have no idea what you're getting into for your first viewing. Um, my second viewing is what I'm talking about here, but... Uh, going in a second time and understanding a little bit more of what you're getting into, it is just so, it's so wild, but so fun. Like, uh, th there's so much going on that you'll just be scratching your head on, like, your first viewing, but the second viewing is like, okay, I'm starting to kind of get it now. Um, like, there were, there are several people, like, I'm pretty sure you told me, like, your first time watching the movie, you're like, what did I even watch? I, I was just about to say that, yeah, the, so, uh, Drake, who I used, it uh, was a co-worker with me, uh, at my work, he was like, yeah, this is my favorite movie, I was like, ah, oh, give it a shot, and I watched it, and I was like, what the fuck is this piece of shit? Like, I, I didn't get it at all, and it's like... I don't know how to describe it. It's it's literally like trying acid. You try it the first time and you're like, oh, that's awful. Let me try it again. <laughs> and then you, you try it a second time and you watch it and you're like, okay, okay, I'm getting it. And I've seen it now in the last two years, probably 11 or 12 times. It, it just, it is such a phenomenal movie. And it adapts the book so well. It I It's hard to explain the movie, but you ever wanted to see what it's like to be on drugs without being on drugs? That's the movie for you. Right. It is beyond. Plus the it is the so acting good. really helps that movie so much. Like having having Johnny Depp who's such a physical actor in your in your lead role pretending to be somebody that's just high out of their mind. Like he he just hits it out of the park. It took me a little bit to know if I was sh sure on this, but it, it's my favorite Robert, or favorite Robert, Jesus. It's my favorite Johnny Depp performance, and it's my favorite Benicio Del Toro performance as well. Right. Him as the Samoan lawyer is so good. And Tobey Maguire's, like, fucking five minutes he has in the beginning. Like, talk about being hit in the face. Like, it, it's, yeah, you know. Yeah, especially, it, like, because that movie came out just a couple years before the first Spider-Man movie came yeah, out. Yeah, it came out in 98. Yeah, so it was so about years. four years. Or, yeah, yeah, three years, three years. Three or four, one of the two. It was two thousand two, two thousand two. So yeah, so four years. Four years. It's like being splashed in the face with cold water because his look in the movie, he's like blonde and his hair's real thin, and he he just yeah, it's he, like down to like it's down behind his back a little bit. Uh, just very strange. Yeah, it, it is very strange, but I mean, it fits with the tone of the movie. The movie is very strange. The man that the movie is based on is very strange himself yeah. i mean have i ever told you 
we're only 24 minutes in, so this is cool for the podcast. Have I ever told, like, read you his daily routine? No. Oh my god, I'm gonna do it real quick. He, so he was in an interview, and they asked him his daily routine. This is 100% what he did every day. 3 p.m. wake up. 3.05, he would drink Chavez Regal with the morning papers and smoke Dunhill. So uh, that's like a type of whiskey. Okay. 3.45, cocaine. 3.50, another glass of whiskey. 4.05, first ca- cup of coffee. Would smoke another cigarette. 4.15, more cocaine. 4.16, a glass of orange juice, another cigarette. 4.30, cocaine. 4.54, cocaine. 5.05, cocaine. 5.11, coffee, another cigarette. 5.30, more ice and another uh, glass of whiskey. 5.45, cocaine. 6 o'clock, grass to take the edge off the day. Oh Here's God. the big one. 7.05, Woody Creek Tavern for lunch. Heineken, two margaritas, coleslaw, a taco salad, a double order of fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, a bean fritter, another cigarette, another Heineken, cocaine, and for the ride home, a snow cone, which is a glass of shredded ice, which is poured over three or four shots of whiskey. Oh Nine o'clock. God. Starts snorting cocaine seriously. Ten o'clock. Drops acid. Eleven o'clock. Chartise, which is like a French liqueur. Cocaine. More grass. Eleven thirty. Cocaine. Twelve o'clock. Midnight. Hunter S. Thompson is ready to write. Between 12.05 a.m. and 6 a.m. when he's writing, he has chartreuse, cocaine, grass, more cigarettes, coffee, Heineken, clove cigarettes, grapefruit, uh, more cigarettes, orange juice, gin, and continuous pornographic movies while he's writing. Then he has a hot tub champagne, Dove bars, a fettuccine alfredo. He takes a halican, and then he goes to bed at 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh my god. Yep. That is insane. Like, that oh, is beyond crossfaded. That is... The wildest life of anybody ever, I swear to God. Yeah, that is insane to me. That blows my mind. Yeah, he was he was a he was an interesting individual. Did you know that they adapted Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas once before that? No, I didn't. It's terrible. It's got Bill Murray in it. Huh. Um it came out in let me get the name of the movie for the podcast. Uh where it's a movie called Where the Buffalo Roam. Okay. It has a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes uh, for the critic score. And the audience score is a little bit higher, but um, I've heard it's awful, and I've heard Hunter S. Thompson absolutely hates it. Right. But yeah, it came out in the 80s with Bill Murray. Hmm. Um, so my number nine is Come and See. Um, Come and See, I'm not going to go into too much detail on. Um. Come and See is a Russian film that came out post-World War II, and it is the most brutal and realistic depiction of war I've ever seen. And I say that there are hardly any battles in the movie that you see. I don't even – maybe you see one. It's set from the Russian perspective um, towards the end of World War II, and you follow this German kid whose father is killed. And he decides at age 11 to take up a rifle and march with a battalion of Russian soldiers. And you just get to see the effects of war and the way it breaks this 11-year-old kid's mind over the course of the movie. It is one of the most gritty, 
depressing and realistic war films I've ever seen. It is genuinely hard to watch. There are moments in it where I'm just, I was just left completely speechless. And the best part about it is he got like, he didn't get actors for it. Like big Russian actors. He wanted them to look like people that would have actually been in the war. Hmm. So he got people that, you know, off the street, things like that. It was banned in Russia for um, several years because it kind of, it didn't paint either side as the good guys because the Russians did bad things during World War II as well. Right. And it was very controversial because it was released in 85 during the Cold War. And the Russians found that to be, you know, a, a little against their image that they wanted to paint for the public. But right. it is absolutely incredible. It is such a great war film. Right. I definitely want to see that one because I do love movies that like kind of they look at like war and historical battles and stuff like that from like a different perspective rather than just straight war for war sake. Um, yeah. So that one's definitely going to have to go on my list. I have to catch that one. It is it is so good. There's a there's one of the most realistic scenes of bombs being dropped when this when the kids going across this field and the sound of the movie just goes completely high pitched and then nothing cuz it takes your you can't hear anything yeah. like it just blows your ears out and like there's like a good 5 6 minutes of the movie where the kids moving around and there's it's just complete and total silence. Oh wow. Very good. That is that is wild. Yeah, it's very intense. So what do you got for your This would be my uh, number 7. Okay. Uh it is The Lighthouse. Ah, very good. This isn't on my list because I haven't seen it this year, but The Lighthouse is very good. Okay. Um, so uh, I'll just go into a little bit. Uh, it's inspired by Greek horror, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, uh, Proteus and Prometheus. That's right. Um, so it's Greek, Greek horror inspired. Um, and it's such a simple concept for a movie where it's just two men show up to attend a lighthouse they have their time which is supposed to be what three weeks or something like that something like those lines well you that's the beauty of the movie right. is you yeah, don't really not, know you, you don't really know how long it how long it you, is because you could take their word for it right but you don't know yeah they they kind of like they like say yeah the boat's gonna come for us and then it just never shows up and after that moment weird stuff's been happening but after that moment it just starts to go out the window and you're just you're just along for this ride of like what is even happening who who's sane here who's insane what is what's going on it's bad luck to kill a seabird exactly it is so good and the fact that both of the characters are unreliable narrators is so good I, right it's my something favorite... that i don't think any other movie has ever done quite the same yeah you 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 don't know who to, there's nobody to trust there's literally nobody to trust because you know either willem dafoe's insane robert pattinson's insane or they're both fucking insane right at least one of them is insane it, it's drawn from the perspective as well where you're like at one point it's like ah oh, robert pattinson's insane and then to the next point it's like ah oh, willem dafoe's insane. like no nobody no one's insane no one's sane. you don't know we don't know I think they do a really good job as well of um, capturing like the old timey language. Right. I love when he's like he's like reading his log. He's like, "You've committed several acts of habitual self abuse in this chat." <laughs> yeah, 
habitual some abuse. I'm like, oh, he means masturbation. That's great. Yeah. It's it's so good. My favorite line in the movie that really cements the unreliable narrator thing is when Willem Dafoe's like, how long has it been? Two weeks? Two days? Help me to recollect. Like, that is so good. Yeah. And the monologues are just... It also man. has um, one of my favorite pieces of, like, if you just took a screenshot from this film, it is easily one of my favorite things I've ever seen. And um, it's the scene when he's, like, the whole weird phase is going on, but you see Willem Dafoe standing over Robert Pattinson with the light coming out of his, like, eyes and mouth. Oh, where he's he's in, like, the Greek position. Yeah, he's in, like, him. a Greek, like, uh, like statue pose. Yeah. Yes, that is that is the best piece of evidence that like kind of points it towards that Proteus and Prometheus. Yeah. Um my number eight is American Beauty. And this one is one I'm very excited to talk about. I watched it for the first time less than a month ago, and it's still very fresh in my mind. Um I watched American Beauty, and I was very nervous going into it. Do you know anything about American Beauty? Uh, I know about some rose petals. Uh, yes, okay. Kevin Spacey is in there. Yes, so the only thing I knew about American Beauty is the rose petals, and Kevin Spacey wants this 18-year-old girl, and he's married. That's all I knew. Right. And I was like a little nervous to go into it. I'm like, eh, I don't know how I feel about this. Right. It's and it's I, definitely a concept that like if you state that you're just like, ah, oh, that sounds strange. Yes. And I after watching it, I hate that that's what the movie's known for. Because it's so much more than that. It is like I watched it. I had like a um an episode after I finished it. I was like I finished the movie. I was like this is art. I was like this is true art i was like this makes me want to write i want to write for film i was like this is so good and it kevin spacey's performance he he encapsulates all of the aspects of a midlife crisis perfectly i mean he does so freaking well in this movie it's crazy everybody's at the top of their game and i didn't know this until later it's directed by the guy that did 1917 Oh really? Uh, yeah, another movie it's... that's on the list I, I I own haven't watched yet, so there's that. Uh, um, but I need to get there. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's so hard to put American Beauty into words. It really is just a beautiful, beautiful movie. And Kevin Spacey, like you, kind of like feel for him for a lot of it because he really like you begin to understand like his wants and like his life and the situation he's in and man it hurts it hurts so bad to watch it like you're watching the movie and you're like oh my god like it's just it's physical pain especially the last 30 minutes i like couldn't breathe it was so stressful and he just he sells every aspect of it and one of my favorite lines in the movie is they're they're sitting there and they're having dinner, him and his family, and he keeps asking for the asparagus, and he picks it up, and he's like in the middle of a sentence, and his wife is interrupting him. His wife and daughter in the movie kind of disrespect him, don't really like him. Yeah. And she like interrupts him, and he like went and got the asparagus, and he just like throws it into the wall, and he's just like, don't interrupt me again. And he sits down, and they have like dinner music playing, and he's like... And also, and he's, like, cutting his baked potato. He's like, also, uh, 
quite frankly, I'm a little tired of this Lawrence Welk shit that you've been playing. And I don't think I'm alone here. And then he just keeps eating. It's so good. Oh, wow. Such a great movie. Yeah, it's one that, like, I've heard, um, I've heard about, but I've never, like, seen. Or I've never heard anybody talk about it in, like, detail, so. I, I think it won Best Picture, but I know it was nominated. Yes, it did. Won Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actor. Best cinematography and best original screenplay. Oh wow, that's took five that's a lot Oscars. of awards, and to be one that I don't really hear about is crazy to me. Yeah, it's oh, it's so good. It's such a great film. Right. All right, Keegan, we're up. What is this? Your number six? Uh, so six, I had JoJo's Part Three as well. So we're gonna go to my number five, uh, which is the Batman. I have the Batman on my number five. All right. We have it at the same spot. We tied up, we yeah. tied up on the Batman. Look at that. Yeah, we did. Man, you could go first. This, okay. is, this is a good one. So uh, I'll just preface this by saying that Batman is one of my all-time like favorite like superheroes, especially when he's in his... Uh, He's in like his early phase before a lot of like his super like villains get in introduced to it. Like when he's facing like mafia and like serial killers and stuff like that. And this movie does that perfectly by taking us into a point where we're now, uh, we're looking at this from a young Bruce Wayne's perspective and he isn't really fighting like any crazy super villains. Um, it's just tr hunting down a serial killer. Super well done, and I absolutely love a lot of the shots and stuff that they take. The music direction, the sound design, everything is done so well, and it's just it's easily one of my favorite superhero movies to date. Now, it is for me too. Detective Batman always beats Action Batman. Yeah. Detective Batman is so good, relying on his brain and the gadgets he has rather than his brawn. And he does use his brawn in the movie, to be fair. But yeah, I mean, especially like the first time that we see him, it's him beating dudes up in a in a alleyway yep. or a, it was like a subway station or something like that yep. and i i may get shot dead in the street for this but it's the best batman movie it's the best on-screen batman that we've had in live action and it's the best jim gordon the only yeah. other jim gordon we've had is gary oldman and he was okay there was one in michael keaton's but who the hell was that like he was barely there he barely yeah. did anything this jim gordon feels like one that is like like all the other cops aren't really there but jim gordon's like all right, man, we got this. Like, he's on his side, and he's so, like, he, he's, I don't want to say he's the comedic relief, but he has some of the best, like, He has a few moments where breathe. there's a bit of comedic relief, but. Yeah, you could have pulled that punch, man. Like, that's yeah. so good. I did. Like, that's so good. And the thumb drive and everything. It's just one of my yeah. favorite on-screen Batman villains, too. Paul Dano is the Riddler. He's scary. He's creepy. Yeah. He's intelligent. And it he kind is of a threat. It semi adapts like the Batman Hush comic, uh, as well, like having him be less uh solve riddles, uh like that are just kind of see feel like mundane and don't really do anything. Um but like they're riddles that are leading into actual like crimes. I, I completely agree, and I'm so glad they went that direction instead of just doing Hush, because I don't like the Hush story. I don't like Thomas Elliot. I don't like that whole thing. But I love 
absolutely love the way they pose Riddler into that, that he's, you know, he's gunning for the rich because he was this, his motivations are so good. And Colin Farrell is the penguin. Come yeah. on. Like he is so good. The accent, the makeup design, Colin Farrell, man, two bangers in 2022. He yeah. released, he is so fucking good and so talented. It, it's just, I'm so excited for the sequel. I know they announced the villain is Clayface. Very excited to see an on-screen Clayface. I don't want them to go realistic. I want them to go full comic, show a weird Clayface. The world can handle it. Right. It's, yeah, I, I hope so. I hope they can find a way to pull that off and keep it like how it felt kind of grounded for this one. Um, all of my the rest of mine. I'm looking at my list for the highlights, and they're all kind of depressing. So I feel kind of bad now because like you got like uplifting ones, like we got the Batman. And you were like, oh yeah, this was good, and then I'm looking at mine. I'm like. Helen C was depressing, Eraserhead. It's not exciting. American Beauty is depressing. Um, my next one is probably the most depressing one I have on this list. The one I saw most recently, The Seventh Seal. Wow. Um, this movie, the entire purpose of this movie is to remind you that you are going to die. It is so good. Um, the whole point of this movie is to tell you you're going to die. There's no avoiding it. Everybody dies. Right. You can't cheat death. The movie is about this knight named Antonius Block. And he just came back from the Crusades. He comes to this beach. And death is there to greet him. And he challenges death to a game of chess for his life. And um, death agrees because he's bored. Bless you. No, you're good. And Antonius Block's reasons for winning are so, so good. He, the reasons that he wants to go on living even for a little bit longer is so that he could find out if there really is a god and he can do one last act of goodness as a soldier. And it is so good. He comes across all of these different characters. He comes across um, a woman accused of being a witch. He comes across this act of um, this act, this group of actors that are um, traveling performers. It is such a beautiful, beautiful film, and it's shot so well. It's a, and it's so crazy to me that a Swedish film from 1957. That takes place in the Middle Ages is one of the most relatable movies I've ever seen. But it's just because we're all human and we can all relate to the idea of we're all going to die. And we can all relate to that idea of wanting a little bit more time. And the dialogue in this movie is so profound for 1957. I mean, having characters in your film that are questioning the existence of God in 1957 is insane. Right. Having that in your movie and having that be like a central plot point that your characters are feeling that way is it's so powerful. And it immediately skyrocketed in my top 20 when I watched it. It was just it was such a great film. Igmar Bergman, as the director, did such a great job with it. Right. It was, um, it was incredible. Yeah, it's, that does sound like a depressing film, to be honest, but. <laughs> it is but he mixes in comedy too like there's some like funny moments like yeah. even with death like there's a part in the movie where he's like giving his confession and uh the, the the priest is death like he snuck around the pew and he's in the pew and he's like talking to him the thing and he's like so how are you gonna be death huh 
and he like tells him a move that he's got planned and then he like turns and looks at him he's like i got you <laughs> and he's like oh come on like you're already dead you're cheating again right but I, I, death in the movie is so good because he's portrayed as just an everyday guy he's just doing a job yeah and he's like is there a gun he's like fuck if i know i'm just doing my job right very good i feel like we uh we both kind of put some depressing stuff towards the top of our list so Uh uh-oh what do you got next cyberpunk edge runners okay i haven't seen it you haven't seen it okay so i'm gonna I'm going to try my best not to spoil anything because I've, it's, it's like, you can finish the whole show. You can start it and finish it in like less than three hours. Uh, like one sitting, you can bust it out. Uh, so that's what I recommend you do, but it starts off and we literally follow, uh, it, well, it starts out with one of the most gruesome scenes I've seen in anime, uh, which is what is a, a cyber psycho just tearing through, uh, through cops in night city and then we like meet up with our main protagonist straight after this, who was watch basically witnessing this through what they call brain dances, uh, where you literally experience somebody's like feelings and emotions in that moment, and he literally just watched the cyber psycho die through his own eyes and essentially experiences death, which is just blows my mind to even think about that in like that kind of perspective. But it leads into this whole super depressing story about how basically nobody wins in night city you end up in a situation the city always wins that's pretty much the whole approach to the to the show i i just want to say it's amazing that a game like cyberpunk that released you know the way it did yeah and it was able to come back from that and then to have one of the most popular anime series of the last two years is 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 awesome and it revived the entire game as well like it the game, like, it started kind of in, like, regular updates that tried to get it back into a good state, and they timed the release of the anime with their big update that fixes, that fixed so much of it. It was literally shock paddles to the game. It it brought it back. That's, it's amazing how, you know, doing something like that. I'm sure that, you know, there are a lot of games that do that, where they, like, revitalize you know, or a movie that revitalizes a game. I'm sure, you know, some of the Arkham games too have revitalized people. Oh yeah, like I remember, I remember right after the Batman came out, seeing so many people start uploading like short clips on like, of like the Arkham games on, uh, on YouTube. Like it'd always be like Arkham Knight too, because that one has like the best gameplay to simulate being Batman. So just like, like slowly walking through the city streets and enemies just go, oh my God, it's the bat. Yep. Man, that's awesome. Um, my number six is a... I cheated a little bit, but not really. Okay. It's Before Sunrise and Before Sunset. Um, this is a trilogy called the Before Trilogy. There are three of them. I haven't grown the balls to watch the third one yet. Um, it's very depressing. It is the most realistic romance film I think I've ever seen. Before Sunrise is these two people, um, they meet on a train, and they, like, form some type of connection, and the whole movie is just them walking through, um, walking through Paris together. Because he's from America, she's from, uh, Sweden, and they're just walking together at night. And 
they kind of come to this realization that they both have to go their separate ways in the morning. So they agree that this is their night. They know they're not going to let the morning ruin it. And before sunset picks up, ten fucking years later, and they're both their own people, and he wrote a book about that night. And just, you know, the experience he had. And she goes to see him again, and they start to, like, reform um, connection. And I know Before Midnight is going to be tragic, because it takes place another ten years later. And, um... They have kids I know in Before Midnight. Uh, I don't know very much about it. I haven't. I again, the first two, the first one is emotionally devastating. It is such a good movie. I, it's very rare to see chemistry like that. We are like, man, these people like could really be in love. And yeah, that Richard sounds like Link, a beautiful movie, to be honest. Like it is. The whole trilogy is just so well made. And Richard Linklater, he's insane. He is literally insane. He is the most patient man on earth because he released Before Sunrise in 1995. He released Before Sunset in 2004. And he released Before Midnight in 2013. He released them 10 years apart for all three of them. Exactly. And he has the same characters, the same couple. And you actually get to see them age. And he does that with a lot. Like, have you ever heard of the movie Boyhood? No, I don't think I have. He did it, and it's a movie. It's not like a documentary or anything like that. He got all of these actors together, and every year they would shoot two or three scenes. Oh, wow. And it takes place over 12 years of you seeing this kid grow up with his family. So you actually see all of the characters get older, and they don't use, like, body, you know, somebody else or CGI. It actually, the story just unfolds and you watch it as the years crazy. go on that's so much dedication to a film yeah and ethan hawk is in all three of the before movies he is the um he is the man in them and he's also in boyhood uh sloppy butcher said touch my soul all the way down to my jimmies i don't know if he's talking about the before trilogy or if he's talking about boyhood but either way i, can, I think I can maybe both we'll see <laughs> All right, Keegan, what is up for next for you? I've got two left. All right, I also have two left. So uh, for me, number two is Better Call Saul. Had to bring it up. Had to put it on there. Uh, and let me preface this by saying that I love Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul both, but it is crazy to me that Better Call Saul could beat Breaking Bad in the end. Like, I was sitting there the entire time, like, I like this a lot. I really like this a lot. And then I finally got to the end, and I was like, it has a, it's better. Like, it's, they're both fantastic. They're both, they're both right here, but Better Call Saul just takes it just a little bit. I, I could talk for an hour about Better Call Saul, um, but it's just, to me, it's so much better than Breaking Bad just because, Breaking Bad sets up the world a little bit for you. Yeah. Like, you you know, you know, you, the Salamancas are over here, you know some aspects. Better Call Saul explodes the world. Like, you see all this stuff, and then they're doing this thing, and you're like, oh, that becomes this. Yep. And then you're, like, you're watching it. And it's not like they throw in a cameo for you to be like, like, you know, like a Marvel movie throws yeah. in a cameo, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, they, whenever they have characters there, it makes 
total sense for them to be there at this point. Like, it makes sense for them to appear. It makes sense that they're there. Right. And that's what makes Better Call Saul so good. And the it's, fact that they... It's literally an origin story for every, like, major side character that appears in Breaking Bad. Exactly. And it's crazy, too, because they expand on Mike so much. Did you know Mike wasn't even supposed to be in Breaking Bad? Yeah, it was originally supposed to be um, just Saul that shows up. It, they just they created a character because they saw uh, Jonathan Banks, and they were like, I can't remember what show that he did before, but Vince Gilligan and um, what's his name? Peter Gould. Peter Gould. Yeah, they they both were like huge fans of the show, and they're like, we can get him. Let's do that. Yeah, and then he just be he instantly became like one of the most loved characters in both shows, and he gets like some of the most interesting stuff in both, especially in Better Call Saul. Yeah, he gets so much interesting character development; it's crazy. And the fact that they made it last as long it it really is one of the best prequels ever made. Right. Even the a huge thing, I'm not going to go into any spoilers, but the way that they keep coming back to post Breaking Bad in the show. To start out the seasons and finally see how it all ends. The payoff in the final season is just—it's so well done. It, it's crazy to me because you—you you think watching that you're like, man, they've had to have like have had this plan for like ten years, and they fucking didn't. They wrote Breaking Bad season by season, yeah. like they had plans to kill off like Walt Jr. and Jesse in season one and two, and you're, and they you know they didn't in season one and two, and then you're like. Man, they wrote this season by season and yeah. made it up as they went along. They literally just wrote in Saul. They wrote in Mike. They were like, yeah, these would be cool characters. It's just that is the talent of a good writer is just yeah. being able to adapt and just come Especially up with these like, I feel like the teamwork between Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold is just, it's top notch because I feel like they both have like such similar ideas that they can just really pull, pull together something from what seems like nothing. I completely agree. Uh, Breaking Bad is a great starting base for good writers. Better Call Saul is what happens when those good writers are experienced. Right. That's the best way I put it. Yeah, it's um, it, to to be like, especially in the the context of how like the show came to be uh, for Better Call Saul was like AMC basically like we want three spinoffs, and Vince Gilligan said I'll give you one spinoff. That does all three of those. Yep. Yep. That's the best part, too, because AMC is known for like cash grabbing things. You know, The Walking Dead, they've got like a hundred like spinoff spin shows at this point. Yep. And Better Call Saul is the only breaking, not counting El Camino, yeah. is the only Breaking Bad spinoff, which is great. It's great. And El Camino just feels like another episode of Breaking Bad, just like an epilogue yeah. to certain things. Also, if you've um, never done it before, uh, feel free to look up any of the original scripts for a Breaking Bad episode and just read them, and it's almost like you're reading like a just a really well written novel. Yep. Oh yeah, I love that too because I I um I watched I have the Blu-ray series of Breaking Bad, and they had Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul sitting down uh, for a special. It was an hour long. You only get on the uh, the special edition Blu-ray, and they read the finale together. Yeah. For the first time. The big thing it with that, too, is so I remember, good. I think somebody re-uploaded that on YouTube, and I remember watching it, and they're both just kind of sitting there, and they almost have, like, tears in their eyes reading this, because it's like, this is the end, you know? Yeah. We don't we don't talk about the Slipping Jimmy cartoon. 
<laughs> we do not talk about the slipping disc. I don't even know what that is. So I'm going to assume AMC... we're not talking about it. AMC released it on their YouTube. It's like little shorts of Slippin' Jimmy when he was a kid. Okay. And it's really bad. So It's really bad. Don't know why they did it. Uh, you probably don't have context for it, but for anybody that's a Letterkenny fan, um, I'm going to bring up Little Kenny, and it's like that. I guess that, yeah, that's probably what it's Little Kenny, like. you basically, it's all the, um, it's the three, like, big characters. And it's just a cartoon where they like talk about like it's it's like three minute long episodes, and they're just mind numbing. They're so bad. Slippin' Jimmy has a two point eight on IMDb out of ten. It's on Netflix. Yeah, it is. Fifteen percent of users like this show. Oh my god! It has like none of the writers. It's weird, and the animation is dog shit. It looks like Big Mouth kind of. It's weird. Huh. Weird show. Weird. It's just weird in general. Right. Um, my second to last is Shiva Baby. Shiva Baby was fucking excellent. I went in on a whim with this with Lincoln. I knew nothing about it. Uh, do you know what a Shiva is? Mm, it sounds familiar. It's a Jewish funeral service. Okay. Much. So it's this girl played by Rachel, Rachel Sennett and she is a sugar baby and she has this sugar daddy and they she goes to this um this shiva and she's there with her family it's like a uh, like a i don't know what the family relation is but she's there for them and the guy shows up that's her sugar daddy oh, he wow. was also invited to the shiva with his wife and kid hmm. And the whole movie, the it's only an hour and 17 minutes long. The whole movie takes place in this party. And it runs the length that a party would. So you are with her the entire time. And it's so, like, the anxiety you feel in the camera. like, And she's like, you know how you're like, you see somebody and you like really want to avoid them. And you're like, yeah, camera's just It's so like close. me avoiding eye contact with the crackhead at the gas station. It, that's exactly what it is. It's an hour and 17 minutes of just that, and it is so good. It is one of my favorite movies I saw this year. It's so good. And Rachel Sennett, I want her to get more roles so bad. She is such a fucking great actress. She was in uh, Bodies, 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 and She of a Baby. She is absolutely incredible. She's like one of the best up-and-coming actresses right now. She needs more roles. But She of a Baby is great. It's on HBO Max. It's literally an hour and 17 minutes. It's very modern. Check it out. It's it's great. Okay. Yeah, it definitely sounds like something that it's if you like like the kind of movies that give you anxiety, the ones where you're like on the edge of your seat the entire time and you're just like, "Oh my god." Like like you thought cringe humor was bad, you know. Um, exactly. but yeah, that definitely that sounds like a very very interesting film. It is. It's super good. All right, Keegan, your last highlight of the year. Okay. So last movie highlight of the year. Uh, it's it's no surprise for most people. Uh, it's in a, it's across the Spider Verse, which I know that you didn't have much of a an appeal for it. Uh, I understand like your uh, attachment to animation isn't as deep as a lot of people. So, um, but absolutely absolutely love the movie it is 
uh voice acting animation like every single frame feels like it like thousands of man hours went into one frame uh of just of the movie uh fantastically written it's just all around a good movie i'm not going to go into any story stuff because there i know there are people that haven't had the chance to see it yet with it being so recent so i'm going to leave it pretty short on across the spider-verse okay um, I will say the animation is beautiful. I yeah. can agree with that. It's the definitely animation. like like seeing a lot of the frames, especially like uh, Into the Spider-Verse did it, but it's like a lot of the moments where you could freeze frame it and you're just like, that's a comic panel. That's a wallpaper for my computer, that kind of thing. Um, my last highlight is the most what-the-fuck movie of the year, the most divisive movie of the year for a lot of cinephiles, Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid. Wow, this movie will fucking take you on a trip like you've never been on in your life. It is it is so hard to describe to people a um a rabbi at the theater that I saw it at in Pittsburgh described it best when he called it a Jewish Alice in Wonderland with horror elements. That is exactly okay. what it is. It's so weird. It's just Joaquin Phoenix is this guy named Bo, and he's got to get home. That's the idea. But as he's trying to get there, some of the fucking craziest shit you've ever seen in your life just keeps flying at him from every angle, from this crazed K-pop girl to, like, the, the city. It's just everything is so fucking crazy. The, the movie is not for everybody. Uh, when I left the theater, half of the people that saw it hated it, and half the people that saw it absolutely loved it. And that is literally the consensus on, like, everything. Everything that um, you, like, go to look at movie reviews on, it's almost always at an exact, like, like 50% loved it, 50% hated yeah. it. It's crazy that it can do that, but it's I can see why. The movie is 100% not for everybody, but people that enjoy that will absolutely love it it is my god it is so 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 good and ari aster is one of the best filmmakers right now i've got there's two comments in the chat for Bo. that movie was so <laughs> fucking good words don't even do it justice anxiety incarnate and Bo is a masterpiece yeah Bo is afraid is so good it's my favorite joaquin phoenix performance it is just such a bizarre mindfuck beginning to end. It is so good. Um, do you want to... Um, we've got our honorable mentions. Do you want me to run through my list real quick and then you run through your list of honorable mentions? Um, so I actually don't have any honorable mentions. If you want to run through those really quick. Oh, yeah, I, I see. I barely managed to get 12 on my list. So. <laughs> I see. I will go very quickly. Okay. Um, Black Klansman, Night and Fog, the Player, Planet Terror, Werewolf by Night, Slither, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, Paths of Glory, Evil Dead Rise, We're All Going to the World's Fair, La La Land, After Sun, Funny Pages, John Wick Chapter 4, Pearl, Django from 1966, Dead Alive, North by Northwest, Infinity Pool, Fantastic Planet, For a Few Dollars More, and Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. 
So um, we've been praising media for about an hour and five minutes now. Yeah. So it's time to get into some disappointments that we've had this year. Keegan, would you like to go ahead with your first disappointment? Okay. So it's not so much as a disappointment as I kind of wish that the movie just wasn't made because uh, it's a remake. Uh, it was already done better with Keanu Reeves. Uh, Point Break 2015. It it takes such a simple concept of the original Point Break and just goes to 11, but not in a good way. I have not seen that. I don't think I will. Yeah, it's not very good. The only cool thing that ever came out of it is for anybody that's a Payday fan, there's a heist that's inspired by something that they do in the movie, and that's as far as it goes. <laughs> um, My first disappointment of this year is Ant-Man and the Wasp Wanamania. What a fucking dumpster fire this movie was. Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp are so good. They're they're so well made. They're funny. They got good action. Paul it, Rudd. It's it's done so well. Like the writing for those first two, uh especially having Paul Rudd be like he like it's it feels like one of the only Marvel movies I'm okay with the main character being a comedian in. Yes, I agree. And Ant-Man the Lost Quantum Mania decides to take out all of the funny, all of the side characters that you love from Ant-Man and Ant-Man the Wasp, uh, you know, uh, Luis, all of them, the Russian guy that was played by Polkadot Man. Yeah. It's rid of all of them. Pulls in this sci-fi plot that is literally Star Wars. They literally rip off all of Star Wars. Modok looks like fucking Mr. Electric. Why is Modok there? Why is he yellow jacket? I'm going to get angry. I've heard of that uh, about the yeah. Modok being in the show or in the movie. Yeah, he is terrible. He is absolutely. He looks like Mr. Electric. Like, that's how bad the oh CGI my is. Oh, God. That's like awful. Mr. Electric. I feel uh, like they blew their, their entire, like, uh, budget on, like, phase four, and it just, none of the movies, like, look great. Like, a lot of the CGI is starting to fail these days. And the villain being Kang, he, in the movie, there's a line that he says to Ant-Man, where he's like, you better let me go, I'm Ant-Man, I'll get the rest of the Avengers, and he's like, what do you do again? Do you have the hammer? I've killed so many groups of the Avengers, I can't tell them apart anymore. Right. Why the fuck are you an Ant-Man villain if you could kill Thor? <laughs> like, right. What? Yeah, it's just oh, that's crazy God. to me. The MCU as a whole, uh, as of recent, has been pretty disappointing. Um, I completely. Let's agree. not go too far into it because we are almost an hour and ten in. So yeah, it might go a little bit over, but yeah. we're we're we got through the big part. What is your second disappointment? Um. To nobody's surprise, it's Overwatch 2. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> uh, because, first off, they stopped doing any and all updates on the original Overwatch in, like, 2018, when they were like, okay, we're going to do a co-op mode for Overwatch 2. Um, and then, like, 2022 comes around. They're like, we have nothing to show for what we've done. And they go, okay, here you go. It's Overwatch I mean, Overwatch 2. That's pretty much what they went with. And then uh, everybody was like, okay, what'd you change? Well, it's 5v5 now. Okay, and? Yeah. Uh, it's 5v5 now? And now they have the audacity to charge $15 for the co-op mode that we were promised, and it's not even the co-op mode that we wanted. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I would have put Overwatch 2 on my list, but I, I was more disappointed by that last year, and then I stopped playing it. So I'm, I'm I, still playing it. I played it on stream today. So There you go. So the disappointment train keeps a rolling. Yep. Um, my second disappointment is another sequel, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. None of us wanted to say it, but it's please, true. Please leave Harrison Ford alone. Please let him die in peace. <laughs> please stop bringing him back for franchises. Blade Runner was okay. You brought him back for fucking Star Wars. You brought him back for Indiana Jones. The man is 80. Let him rest until his final rest. He shouldn't have been in another Indiana Jones movie. The only good part of this movie was the villain, who's played by Mads Mikkelsen. He was excellent. Dial of Destiny, one of the most disappointing films of the year. Yeah, all right, Keegan. We we definitely have to talk about how none of us wanted it. That's all. Nope. Uh, oh anyway. yeah, none of us wanted it. Yeah, none, none of us. Wanted. None of us wanted to see that one fail. We're content with the Last Crusade. Yeah. Um. So a lot of my disappointments come from games because gaming as a whole has been pretty disappointing in the past couple of years. Uh, it's Halo Infinite. No, just the multiplayer. I didn't even play the story to tell you that it's that I'm disappointed with the story, but the the multiplayer just it's not very good the battle pass is a cool idea where you can go back and claim battle pass stuff from like previous ones uh i wish more people did that that's the only highlight i can give it yeah that's very fair that is very fair um my third disappointment is clerks 3 yet another sequel clerks 1 is one of the best indie films ever made it's so quotable put kevin smith on the map Clerks 2 is alright. Not as good as Clerks 1. Clerks 3, Kevin Smith is just a fucking sellout at this point. Like, Clerks 3 is like, he says it's made for the fans, and it is, so he could get more money. Hey, there's no passion behind it with, like, with Clerks 1, and I hate right. to dog on Kevin Smith, because I do like him a lot, but Clerks 3 is just not nearly the height of Clerks 1 and 2. Right. Yeah, I have. Uh, I haven't seen the Clerks movies. I've seen clips from them, and they do seem like really like entertaining movies that I do want to watch them. But hearing how like three went, it's disappointing. Yeah, the first one is absolutely incredible. One of the most accurate retail movies yeah. ever. It's like I, so I, like I've seen clips from the first one. I'm like this. Like having a background in retail, it's it's like I, this is <laughs> this is another so Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, it's so accurate. Yeah. What do you got next for your disappointments? Um, so my fourth disappointment, uh, it's it's a shame to put it on here, but it's Dying Light 2. The reason I say it's a disappointment is because I've seen how much like effort and uh, support Techland put into the first Dying Light. To have Dying Light 2 come out and just tell a more disappointing story, uh, have gameplay elements that aren't as well thought out, and like all around it feels like something was just missing like the heart of dying light just wasn't in dying light 2 and it's gotten better from what i've heard but i haven't gone back to play it for myself so as it sits it's still disappointing for me it's fair i haven't finished the first one yet so i don't uh one day i will yeah uh, my number four pick is glorious what a fucking piece of shit 
No idea why the Rotten Tomatoes score is so high. No idea why so many people talk about this movie. It is a movie that should have been great, should have been good fun. It's a movie about a dude that goes into a bathroom. There's a talking glory hole, and it's J.K. Simmons. He's on the other side, and he's God. It should be amazing. And yeah, what it, you just described to me sounds like it would be a fucking <laughs> awesome movie. <laughs> it does, and I thought it was. All the reviews were great, and I watched it with uh, my cousin John and with Lincoln, and we all three walked away with the idea of what the fuck did we just watch. It almost has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my god. No idea. The audience score is a 56. I agree with the audience score. It, it's a talking glory hole played by J.K. Simmons should have been a lot better than it was yeah that's just that it sounds like such a fun idea how did you fail how do you mess that up i have no idea Ah. what do you got for your next disappointment uh that's the last disappointment i had i tried to get a fifth on there but i don't know what it was but i literally sat there and my mind just went blank (laughs) okay i've got two more i'll just run through them really quick run through those real quick uh, number five is Murder Mystery 1 and 2. They're Adam Sandler movies on Netflix. With Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston. They're not funny. They're pieces of shit. Adam Sandler, keep making stuff like Uncut Gems. Um, number six <laughs> is Europa Europa. And this movie is a disappointment, but it also makes me mad. And here's why. I think it's fair to create... I think it's fair to criticize a movie that tackles a serious subject if it's done poorly. Europa Europa is about the Holocaust. And I went into it because I've heard it's great and it covers um, Holocaust. It has like a 95% and I watched it and it was an absolute fucking travesty. I hated it. And the thing is, it whenever you what makes me mad about it is whenever you criticize films that tackle important issues, you 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 seem to paint yourself in this light that you don't agree with the message, which of course I do. Schindler's List is one of the best films ever made. It is so well put together, and it covers the Holocaust in such an emotionally impactful way. Night and Fog, documentary about the Holocaust, covers it so well. One of the most heart-wrenching documentaries ever. And I feel like that's the thing with, with a lot of this stuff, is people are afraid to criticize movies that tackle hard-hitting issues like Europa Europa. It is not a good movie. It it it's barely even about the Holocaust. It it, it is just it is such it is such a disappointment to me. Yeah. So um before we get into stuff we're excited for, let's talk about some games we've been playing lately. We haven't talked a lot about gaming. Well disappointments you had a few in gaming, but yeah. let's talk about some games we've been playing. Okay. Um, you want me to start or you want to go? You go for it. Okay. Uh, so I did some stuff that I've played, uh, like not too recently, uh, like a couple months, but my first one's going to be one that I just played like last week, which is Batman Arkham Asylum. Played the whole game on stream. Uh, but still one of my favorite comic book like superhero games of all time it's there's a reason that it's still known as being the one to like get it right and being a template for everything else um like spider-man and all the sequels of course and um the story is well written especially having like paul dini who is like the batman like veteran on board for it just absolutely well written 
just a fun overall game. Uh, the only disappointment being the final boss. That's it. <laughs> I agree with like everything that you said. The atmosphere of Arkham Asylum is second to none. Oh my god, it it's been... like if you turn that atmosphere into a into a burger, it would be fucking massive. It would be. It's it's so good, and it's one of the best. It is. That's the thing that people don't get about video games. You don't need a massive open world for it to be a good game. Arkham Asylum <laughs> is perfectly, yes. <laughs> Arkham Asylum is perfectly contained. It works so well. Every inch of that asylum is so well crafted. When you make a world smaller, take notes, game developers. When you make a world smaller, you can pack in just that much more detail. You can pack in more detail, more fun stuff to find, especially with like all of the uh, the patient interviews are one of my favorite things in the game. The, and, the, and the Ghost of Arkham, uh, or the Spirit of Arkham storyline as well. It adds so much more depth to the game than you would have had without them. And it's just a side thing. You know, you come across like audio logs and shit in games all the time, you're like, oh, boring audio log. But in Batman, it's like, they're being interviewed by doctors, these psychopathic criminals, and you're like, "Yeah, and yeah, I um, want to hear this." Small spoilers for a game that came out in 2009. Having Scarecrow's interviews be him basically trying to turn the interview around so that he's interviewing the doctor is so like that's so in character for him. Or having Harley's be her interviews with the Joker, yeah, before she turned. Yeah, that's awesome. Great storytelling. Um, I. I had that one on my list as well. The second one I played was the Cosmic Shake. The Cosmic Shake was a lot of fun. It wasn't nearly as good as Battle for Bikini Bottom. But the Cosmic Shake was still a lot of fun. It was a fun platinum. The story was fun. The gameplay is fun. It's a great deal for the package. It's like 30 or $40, something like that. It's not even a full-price new game. It's great. It's a fun little platformer. If you like SpongeBob... There's costumes from the entire series. There's meme costumes, all kinds of costumes that you can put on him. They even have the fucking maid outfit he wore in that one about the soup. Like, they've got so many different costumes. It's such a fun little game. Yeah, it's, I week? definitely oh. do want to check that one out, though, as a, as a fan of uh, Battle for Creamy Bonham, so... Yeah, it's, it's very good. It does feel like a very good sequel. Yeah. Um, so, for me, number two... Uh, is The Witcher 3. Um, I had to bring this one back up and play through it again after they uh, did their whole remaster of the game. Um, so I did a... Most of my playthrough was back in January, but I have been going back through and doing the DLC as of recent, uh, since I've had some time to. Um, but it's odd that it's this high on the list for me, because as it stands, the gameplay to me is very kind of boring but i just absolutely love the story and the characters so much that it just that's what makes the game for me is getting to experience that story getting to experience character moments between uh like Geralt and yennefer and Geralt and uh and and siri like just characters that if you've read the books you have so much love for and to see it like acted out in a format that isn't just a movie or a tv show uh which we don't talk about the tv show here it's not doing it right um just it's so it's so well done and i absolutely love it i really really wish i had the patience <laughs> to play through the wisher and the attention span. like i said the 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 gameplay is what slows me down it's the story that keeps me going 
And speaking of games that you have to have a lot of patience to play through, my next one is Fallout 4. <laughs> I love Fallout 4. I recognize its flaws, and I recognize that a lot of people don't like it as much as the other two Fallout games. It is my personal favorite. I'll always love Fallout 4. I have so many fond memories of it. I could just sink dozens of hours into Fallout 4 and not even feel it. I... It's one of the only Bethesda games I feel no need to put mods on. I just enjoy the game, especially now that they've worked out a lot of the bugs that were present as launch. Uh, fuck you, Bethesda. Just wanted to throw that out there. I, mean, uh, I will say, having like modded the game myself, I never even mod that much. I put like three or four mods in there, and I just go. And it's usually it looks just pretty good. Yeah, the the mods I usually add are just like uh, quality of life improvements for me. Like I add new music stations. I add uh, better dismemberment, so like you can like shoot off enemy limbs while they're still alive, and not just as a kill thing. And that just it adds something to it for me. Like being able to have a super mutant run at me, I just shoot his leg off, and he just falls to the floor. It adds something. <laughs> um. So you could go ahead with your last game because okay. I know we both have the same one, our fourth spot. Okay, I actually have a third one or a, a three and a four. So I'm gonna oh, run through I, this one. Oh my bad. Yeah, I'm going to run through this one really quick. Uh, it's the original Dishonored. Uh, stealth games are something that I absolutely love. And, like, Dishonored does something so different where it's it's the same thing with Batman, really. The atmosphere and the world are just so well done. Don't you disrespect Diamond City, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty she's good. Been, but I do add it she does not let me turn off diamond city radio while i play it she's like keep that shit on fair enough but i do i do like to add my own music um or not my own but like different music stations stuff that adds more stuff from that same from a similar genre and i also like mm -hmm. to add synthwave because uh synthwave while you just fight like super mutants and like raiders and stuff is fun um but Dishonored having like a hugely dense world it does the same thing that Batman did like I said where it's super um, it's super like into the atmosphere like there's so much like dialogue that you can find written on like journals and text there's stuff you can find out more about the world that you're not living in through books um, like you can find books that are talking about different places that aren't just uh, Dunwall where the main game takes place um, but then, like, having the, the whole thing on top of it of having, like, an occult-type tie-in where you have mystical powers that, uh, there's even a faction that, like, hunts down people that use these, like, people that, that you know, use witchcraft and stuff similar to that, um, and leading it into, like, fantastically written, like, story and then gameplay, again, it's the only game where the disappointing part is the ending, because there's three different endings, and they just don't play out the way that you feel like an ending would. It feels like, oh, mission over, and then it plays an endgame cutscene, and that's it. I, I've always wanted to play Dishonored. I've heard good things. I have the Dishonored and Prey, like, Bethesda collection that they yeah. put out, and I really do want to play through them. And I, I want to play through Prey as well. I just haven't had the chance. Um... So for our final one, uh, I can announce it, or would you like to do the honors? Uh, you go ahead. Our final game that I know we both have on our list before we get to what we're excited for is, in my opinion, the best game of last year. Um, again, in my opinion, 
I don't know if this is the shared opinion of convicted toast. It's it's a lot of people's opinion, but there's a there's a certain fan base out there that will disagree with us. Yeah. Um. So I I, I will announce it then. So it sounds like you're agreeing the shared opinion of me and convicted toast. The true winner of Game of the Year last year, God of War Ragnarok. What a fucking phenomenal game. Yeah. This just, is where you like bamboozle me and say you have Elden Ring instead. Well, I uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh no. <laughs> no. I uh, I also have God of War. Um, but I do want to say that I still love Elden Ring. Uh Elden Ring, I love you. That's all. Anyway. <laughs> God of War is man, I have never felt this invested in an RPG Sony first party game ever it it literally just pulls you through and it just everything feels so good it feels like a giant play yeah and you're watching it like and have the perspective like especially the scene where it really started to feel like you're watching this big grand idea is when Kratos is talking to, I can't remember who he's talking to and you see out the window and it's Atreus and it's like playing that music and he's like crawling away and then you go into Atreus's perspective yeah it's Oh, good! It is just—it's—it's it's when he's talking so to Mimir right after your first like big venture outside of uh, Midgard. It feels like, and they—they they said that they were originally going to put this into two games, and they said that they felt that it worked better as one game. Yeah. So instead of making this a trilogy, which they so easily could have done and raked in more cash because people were going to pick them both up, they decided to tell one fucking incredible story and wrap up the norse mythology stuff all in one game right and i it think it, it plays off better good. this way it does odin one of the best game villains ever he's so good he gives off such dad energy the whole game he gives off dad energy like he's he's just walking up he's like oh how, how are you doing and it's like that conniving like fucking like true norse yeah. mythology like you never know when he can put a knife in your back. Like he's like excellent manipulator. Yeah. Just oh my god. And the the design they gave him, it's so good. I'm glad they didn't go with this huge like god. Like I love like he's got a bald spot, some hair on the sides. He's yeah. got his eye patch. And in that one scene, he's like wearing a little cap. Like and they just... don't make him like they don't make him this gigantic burly guy either. No, and in other God of War games, when you, like, fight the gods, they turn into this, like, the original ones on, like, yeah. PS2, PS3, they turn to these giant things. That's what I love about God of War 2018, God of War Ragnarok. You fight big creatures, but the gods do not increase in size. Yeah. You fight the gods the way they are, which is so good. And God of War Ragnarok, so good. So right. good. I want to get that platinum trophy so bad. It's, yeah. Such a great that's uh that's actually we both went and before god of war ragnarok came out we actually went back into god of war 2018 just busted out the platinum trophy real quick and then yep. it came out and we were both on there um but yeah i absolutely love the game's story i get i love how much we get to see kratos grow from 2018 to ragnarok as well like he's not he's a lot more in touch with uh with atreus and you see that literally in the opening you get to see that like it's not a major spoiler, but it starts out, Kratos is just sitting in a cave, just thinking, right? And Atreus shows up, he has this deer that he just went out and hunted, and, you know, Kratos helps him load it up onto their, onto their sled, and, uh, and Atreus turns around, and Kratos just 
puts his arm right around him and they just they just smile at each other and just oh every time it's so good so good it is he really like he gets back in touch with like humanity in yeah. a way it, it's know? something and... that like throughout the entire franchise you see him like cutting this part of himself out until like now when he has atreus and they've made this they've bonded they're now you know they've grown he has a chance to bring that side yeah. of him back so good it's so i man i can't believe that they did it 2018 and ragnarok it's just they're both so good um so now to wrap some stuff up uh we're gonna go over some things that are up and coming that we are excited for yep i think we've both got one that's the same on here um two we have, two? we have two. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We do have two. Uh, my list is only three. I don't know if you have anything more than me. I have five. You have five. Have five. Okay. I'll let you get uh, two out, and then we'll bounce back for the uh, for the two that we have shared, and then my one. So I could just bang out my three that we don't have shared, and then okay. you could bang out your two that you've shared, and then we can go with the. Okay, that works. Um. So the the ones that we don't have shared. Mine is Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Always been a huge fan of the Mario franchise, especially the two D platformers. Wonder looks like a great fucking reimagining of it. In reality, it's the first 2D Mario game in 11 years. And you could say that we had Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. It's a remake of the Wii U version. It's just ported to Switch. The Wii U um, Super Mario Bros. came out in 2012. It's been 11 years since the last 2D Mario game. One of the biggest gaps in the franchise's history. I'm so excited for what Super Mario Bros. Wonder brings. It looks like it's trying to change a lot of stuff up. I love my Mario platformers. Very excited. Um, my next one is Dune Part 2. If you've seen Dune, how the fuck are you not excited for Dune Part 2? It is going to be so good. It's adapting the rest of the first book. The cast is incredible. It's Denis Villeneuve from Blade Runner 2049. One of the best sci-fi directors out there right now. Bringing these books to life. It is going to be, it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited for Dune Part Two. That is another one that could rival Killers of the Flower Moon and um, Oppenheimer for Best Picture. Yeah. I believe Dune Part Two could be up there. And then the other one that I'm really excited for is Saw Ten. I'm not super crazy into the Saw franchise. I like the first two. I like Spiral. I don't like three or four or five, six, seven or eight. We don't talk about like Jigsaw. Yeah, that's that's eight. Uh, yeah, that's eight. Um, I'm not a big fan, but one, two, and Spiral, pretty good. Saw Ten looks really good because it takes place between one and two. It looks like it's going to try and tap into um the more emotional side of John Kramer. Yeah, and try to understand more about why he does the things he does and why he is that person. And the, the tagline for the movie is "It's his most personal game yet." So to right. me, it feels like I it's think, also um, the longest Saw movie. I think a big thing for the Saw movies as well is uh, John Kramer being like he's he's the big reason why anybody really even listens to like like anything in the Saw franchise. Uh, so I think in Saw, I think it's is it four? It's no, it's the end of three when they like kill him off. That's the biggest flaw they ever have. And I think going in between one and two, it leads into a moment where we can finally get back to what like people liked about Saw. And it was because it was because John Kramer running the games is better than any of the disciples that he ever gets. Exactly. No, I completely agree. And it it um 
it being the longest film in the franchise, to me, it really feels like this is going to be a goodbye to yeah. the franchise. I'm hoping. I'm hoping they le- let it go with ten. Ten's a good number. It'd be great if they ended it there. I agree. All right, what do you got for your one? All right, so uh, it's one of the biggest things I've been waiting for for a long time. It's Payday Three. Uh, it it comes out next month. Finally, it's been it's been over ten years. Like Payday Three uh, or Payday Two came out in twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. I don't remember exactly. Been playing it since then, and finally having a sequel. Uh, especially one that looks as good as three does. I heard that the um, the like closed beta just wrapped up and everybody loved it. So I am excited uh, to see more uh, payday, really. And the fact that they're only selling it for forty dollars. Yeah, that's huge. That's especially huge that's the big thing that I think deters a lot of people on payday uh, two is that they see like how much DLC there is. The best thing about it is if you find a friend that has all that DLC, just let them host it. They don't even need to pay for it. Exactly. And that's it. I think Payday 3 is going to be pretty good, especially with the updated graphics. Right. And the uh, the updated high systems, things like that. It's 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 going to be pretty good. Yeah. All right. So, so which one do you want to discuss first? I'll start Killers of the Flower Moon because I feel like we're both excited for Killers of the Flower Moon. But the other one we share, I feel like we're both a little bit more excited. Yeah, I, I feel like we're for that one, we're both very, like, we're ready. We're ready. Yeah, we're ready. Killers of the Flower Moon, the next movie by Martin Scorsese, could be one of his last, sadly. He's, he is um, much older. Apparently, it has a monster runtime, from what I've heard. Um, Which, here's, while you'd look that up, uh, a quick side note. Stop making movies shorter just because somebody tells you to. Make it as long as you want, as long as it is entertaining and tells the story that you want. It is three hours and 26 minutes long. It's Scorsese's second longest, only behind The Irishman, which is three hours, 29 minutes. It screened, um, Killers of the Flower Moon screened at cons a couple months ago. Around 120 people got to see it early. And all those people immediately went on Rotten Tomatoes because most of the people that go to cons are critics. Sitting at a 97%. It is going to be very good. It is based on a true story uh, um, during the 1920s where members of the Osage uh, Native American tribe of Oklahoma, several of them are murdered. And it's one of the first cases the FBI ever took on. And Leonardo DiCaprio is the lead. Uh, Brendan Fraser's in it, Robert De Niro, Jesse Plemons. It's just got such a great fucking cast. It's Martin Scorsese. What isn't there to be excited about? Yeah. I'm definitely excited to see see that one, especially because this might be the only Martin Scorsese movie I get to see in theaters. Yep. I've never seen a new one in theaters. I got to see Goodfellas in theaters. Okay. Um, They put it back in there. uh, The marquee one time put it in there. And I got to see it, and it was amazing. It was amazing seeing Goodfellas yeah. in the theater. Go ahead. You can have the honors of All announcing right. the thing that we are both the most excited for. I think, uh, I, don't th- I don't think anybody's going to disagree with us. We're both very excited for Spider-Man 2. Long awaiting a sequel since 2018. Uh, Load Miles Morales. It's going to be fantastic getting to see two Spider-Men work together in the same game, though. 
you know the plot's going to be fucking great. You know the world's going to be great. You know the yeah. traversal's going to be great. Insomniac puts so much care and detail into the games. I mean, we both just talked about Batman Arkham Asylum for a good, like, five minutes about And, like, the amount of detail that's going to be in this game, the amount of effort put into it, uh, it's, like, it, it's probably going to blow the first game out of the water. Oh, yeah. I'm And I'm ready for it to... to um to blow the first game out of the water. Yeah. I am so excited for that. Especially for the second one being as good, or the first one being as good as it is, uh, like telling such a, a masterfully told story. Yeah, it's... there. The hype around Spider-Man 2 is so real. I am so ready for it to come out. October 20th, the worst thing for me, because it comes out the same day as Super Mario Wonder. <laughs> so, yeah. the, the big thing, uh, I'll say it for Dylan, since I don't know if he's here or not, but uh, in chat, I, I guarantee you he would be putting playable Venom or I'm out. So, I don't know if anybody yeah, I, else has that sentiment, but we'll have to see. Playable Venom would be cool, but I'm content with Peter Parker. I, I'm content with, with, with them telling a story with two Spider-Men, so... Yeah, and that when they showed gameplay of Peter Parker Venom, that's all I need. Yeah, that's perfect. That's Ultimate Spider-Man right there. Yeah, I uh, I've avoided as much story stuff as possible. I watched that gameplay. It didn't give away too much. It was more about the gameplay than it was about the story. So, I am absolutely just I'm ready. You know, I am too. I am gonna. I need to pre-order my copy as soon as I can. I want to get a physical copy. I'm gonna have to pre-order it at the GameStop because I want it day one and I want a physical copy. Yeah. All right. So I guess that's about everything we had to cover. Yep, pretty much covers episode. everything we had for our first episode. Yeah, went a little, just a little bit over what we had. Um, we will be back um, a little bit sooner than we usually are. Our, our stream schedule is kind of weird. Um, our next stream is going to be Wednesday. Um, it's going to be um, over the first 12 episodes of Attack on Titan. I'm an Attack on Titan veteran. I have watched the series. I've read the last few chapters that haven't been animated yet. Keegan knows next to nothing about I've Attack seen on Titan. Three episodes. <laughs> yeah, we watched the first three already. Uh, we got to watch the next nine before Wednesday. Yeah. And it's kind of this thing is, uh, you know, I've gone through this world before and I'm revisiting it and I'm with Keegan. And it's his first time going through there. So those episodes of the podcast are going to be pretty good. Um, but we will have other episodes of the podcast uh, yeah, mixed we're, in there. It's, we we're going to be doing it uh, separated. So you'll get one like this uh, where we talk about like something that we just decided to come up with. And then in between those, you're going to be getting the Attack on Titan um, podcast. Yep. Um, our goal is to try and finish Attack on Titan by the end of November. Yeah. Um, uh, and I do want to mention, we were going to be discussing spoilers on the show uh, uh, yeah. as we go, right? Okay, so anybody yeah. that doesn't want spoilers, maybe skip out on the Attack on Titan ones, or even if you're, if you're inclined, watch, it with, watch it with us. Yeah, watch the first 12 episodes and then come to the thing and, you know, offer some thoughts, you know? Watch the first 12 episodes. It'll take you three hours. They're like 20-minute episodes. Watch the first 12, and as you uh, watch it, we'll be there with you. And we'll be there talking about it. Um, expect new episodes of the podcast. We're going to have two episodes in a two-week time frame. 
We just don't have, we have specific dates, but they're kind of weird, and I don't want to go over them because it's kind of complicated. Just know you'll get an ep two episodes every two weeks. Yeah. Also, we hope that we have less, let, let's, we'll try and avoid any delays or uh, pushbacks on the stream schedule now that we're both uh, in a better position. So, yeah, and we're both not dying. Yeah. Yeah, that's the big thing. Um, so yeah, this is great. Uh, thanks for having me on here. This is a great first episode. Of course. And we will be putting this, if you want to listen again or recommend it to anybody, we will be putting this on YouTube. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get it on like Spotify and Apple music as well for, uh, for you guys. That way you can like, you know, view it and it's not just, uh, you know, you can view it in the car on the way to work, anything like that, you know, yep. but we will definitely catch you guys in the next one. Uh, and thank you all for watching so much. You guys have a great night. Yes, thank you all. You've all been great.